Welcome to Take Flight Podcast with Daniel Johnson, Olu Okonola, Pabilo Timbo and Shuel Ahmed as your hosts. Take Flight Podcast is released weekly, giving you behind the scenes business views into multiple industries, as well as highlighting the backstories of entrepreneurs and leaders in their respective spaces. We will also be breaking down business models, examining latest trends in businesses and sharing our learnings along the way. Take Flight Podcast is a university business class packaged for a diverse and inclusive audience. We blend this together for a unique and exciting look into the world of business. Join us, your hosts, who are coming from underrepresented backgrounds in the UK, have since worked and traveled to over 100 countries, learned our craft in some of the largest companies in the globe, started our businesses, as well as invested across multiple asset classes. As we give you a unique and inclusive perspective with the mission to help other potential flyers get ready to take flight. Since its start in 2019, Take Flight Podcast has grown to have listeners in over 50 countries. It's in the top 5% of podcasts globally and continues to grow and expand. Come join a growing community. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. In episode 114, we discuss key trends of the UK property market in 2021. In the middle of the pandemic, house prices are at all-time high. First-time buyers have been in a frenzy to secure their first home. And we've started to see a trend of Londoners buying outside of the capital. We dive into these events and much more covering why it happened, what we think will be the impact in the coming year, and some of the behavior changes we expect to see from buyers, sellers, renters, and also lenders. We cast our predictions for the UK housing market in 2022, where we see the biggest opportunities and risks for everyone to consider. We also share our personal views on what we would do in today's market if we were starting out. If you're an investor in property or you're looking to start this year, this episode will definitely serve you well. Okay, guys, welcome back. Uh, episode 114. This is the second episode of the new year, but it's the first episode as us together as a collective. First, start by saying happy new year. How's everyone doing? Um, let's collect some sort of experiences over the new years and then we can dive into today's topic. Olu, please talk to us about your new years. Good. Um, spent it with family um which was really good um i think it's great to be around christmas during the holidays it gives you that sort of that joy that excitement um so i spent it with my family my two um younger nephews and just the excitement that they have celebrating christmas spending time with family playing ludo playing io it was very competitive we even played monopoly until like 2 a.m it was a very competitive holiday festive period, but it was fun, right? It, it reminds you of the importance of family. Um, to a lot of our listeners um, and a lot of people in the world, right, they might have lost family during during the sort of pandemic period. Um, so obviously condolences to those listeners, but it just reminds you again of the importance of family, right? So it was good. How many games did you win? Because I know you're... Especially Monopoly. Um, nah, Monopoly, I didn't even win that one. It got to a point where it got to a point where it was 2 a.m. and we were just like, oh, let's count our money. And I'm like, that's not how the real world works, you know. <laughs> I like I could I could still I could still come back. Network I could discussion. still win this. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was very competitive. It was very competitive. It wasn't keeping track. Cool. Sure. Yeah, good. It was good. It was uh it was great. I was went uh went to Miami, great weather um great food it was actually relatively chilled it wasn't um 
a crazy party thing, more of a yeah, more of like a chilled vibe, I would say. Uh, but no, great food, great company. Um, it's crazy actually. The older that I get, my perception of America changes more and more. And I, every time I go there, I just come away from it thinking that there's so many business opportunities out there. There's so many opportunities to grow. There's so many opportunities to scale things. Um, and yeah, it gave me a lot of personal reflection for for the year ahead. So yeah, I'm fresh off the plane uh, as recently as today. So yeah, looking forward to having this uh, conversation and kicking off the first Take Flight podcast episode for the for the year. Yeah, as a group, as a group, because Pete Pete did a great one as a takeaway. When are you relocating to Miami? (laughs) (laughs) Tackle that offline. Tackle that offline. (laughs) Uh, Daniel, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I think the last time we recorded, we we met up. Well, three of us, three of the four of us met up in person. So that was Mm. Joel, Oli, myself. We went for a nice uh, a nice lunch. Uh, sushi Samba in Heron Tower. So that was nice to just meet up and to chat and converse over a, a nice salubrious hearty lunch. Um, but over the festive period, it was nice. Spent it with um, my wife, saw some family, but very much just been <clears throat> been at home, um, just relaxing. Had a few weeks off work and just really enjoying the down period of resting and recharging. So I'm really enjoying the period that I'm in um, and gearing up for an a impactful, fruitful and challenging in a positive way year ahead. Love it. I was telling Daniel, man, we really need a company jet because I could have made that, but we just <laughs> don't have the resources. I could have made it for that meal and then back with the family the same evening. But I think someone, one of you guys posted, I think the 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 meat, and I, I said, yo. And then I called Daniel, Daniel explained to me what you guys ordered and I just thought. We had to, we had to actually <laughs> order it, we had to order it twice because it wasn't, yeah, heard, as you actually can imagine, as you yeah, can imagine, you've got some big boys around that table. <laughs> no, all good. Yeah, and, and then myself, um, no, great. I think um, sometimes you just got to sit back and say, you know, life is perfect. Um, new Year's and Christmas period was, was great. We moved into a new place. Um, just thankful, thankful, grateful uh, for the year, the opportunities, health, um, especially in the current period that we're all in. And um, just looking forward to doing it all over again next year. So it was a, uh, it still is a good break. I'm not, I'm not back to work until next week. So, so yeah, good. No, guys, perfect. Thanks for, thanks for sharing and checking in. Um, Really, really looking forward to today's discussion. Uh, Today, we want to dive into the current state of the UK housing market. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, how we see it for this year, 2022. Um, And I think it'll be quite interesting because we all have a vested interest in this space. Uh, so it'd be really good to get your thoughts and ideas as to how you see things, right? So before we sort of dive into maybe some of the key trends, um, key topics, I wanted just to sort of share a few, you know, record numbers, some stats around 2021 in relation to the market, just to set the scene for the audience. And then we can sort of dive into a little bit more um, around those pieces. So very first thing, Right now, as we speak, the typical uh, British home, um, the average price is actually at a record high at £255,000. Um, as of December of last year, uh, growth hit double digits, so just under 11% at 10.4%. This is the fastest pace of growing since 2006, just to point to perspective. And then within that, um, one of the things that came out of that actually was Wales topped the charts at a 15.8% growth versus last year. So we're seeing record numbers and waves um, in this market compared to previous markets. 
Um, one of the things that was quite alarming is that we've Londoners have actually spent a record number of 55 billion pounds outside of the capital. So looking to invest and buy properties outside of London. The previous record was actually 37 billion in 2007. So it just speaks to the volume of transactions that are taking place outside of London. We'll get into sort of why that's happening. Um, that totaled actually 113,000 um, properties. And I think um, we've also seen extremely low interest rates, uh, sub 1% from some lenders. They say actually now the average deposit for a home is around 88,000 pounds. So again, alarming numbers. And I think the very last thing, which we can, which we can dive into is obviously the stamp duty holiday was a big topic. Um, and that actually amounted to 6.4 billion pounds that otherwise the tax man would have received. So a very unique year for the property market, record numbers in some areas, and I think changes that will impact the housing market for many years to come. So it's really about, you know, getting your thoughts on why that's happening, right? And, and we can sort of discuss and share the key, the key, the key trends there. So um, who wants to kick it off with just sharing, you know, how, they, how they've understood the, the 2021 market? Dan, go ahead. Yeah, I'll start. I think you shared some, uh, some interesting figures there about how the, the growth, the annual rate of growth has been 10.4%, the, the fastest in 15 years. And as you mentioned, that £55 billion has been spent outside of the capital, resulting in 130,000 properties. I think it really comes down to one thing. I think it's been a very, um, it's been a year of growth in many areas in the industry, in different sectors in 2021. As we saw the knock-on effects and ramifications of the pandemic, uh, primarily happening in 2020. And when you think about why people are looking or why there's been so many houses bought outside of the capital, I think it's people and buyers becoming weary of the lockdown and stuffing up a lot more spacious properties outside in urban areas uh, with more room to work from home. I think that's been maybe one of the, the key themes that could be seen here. And that trend is likely to get tested this year. As you mentioned, rising borrowing rates, stretched affordability and pinched, financial, um, pinched household finances um, come into play when you look at electricity and gas prices being at an all-time high, inflation growing rapidly. So I don't want to jump ahead from the in what we're going to discuss today, but I think a large part of this growth, this rapid growth, the highest we've seen in 15 years, is due to the pandemic and lockdowns. Definitely. Sure. Any... Yeah, so just, um, I mean, I'm I'm pretty much looking at the same variables that, that Daniel had mentioned. I think, of course, the stamp duty probably played a, a part, but I think the bigger uh, factor was the fact that everyone was stuck at home and probably thinking about, uh, is this an area that I want to live in? And is this the type of home that I want to live in long term? And probably they've been thinking about years about moving, um, but this was probably the jump they needed. And I think in parallel, they were probably being offered money cheaper than ever before rates. I know we'll probably talk into it a bit more later on, but rates are probably at their historical lowest. Uh, and then people just weren't spending as much because they were just spending more and more time at home. So I think you put all of those factors together, then suddenly you've got a very buoyant uh, housing market where across the board, people were probably looking to uh, invest and buy, buy bigger or buy larger or invest as a, as an asset. So I think all of these played into uh, the hands of people with an asset uh, and then i guess we'll talk about later on if we were to were to start again what would we do in in the current yeah. climate but yeah yeah Olu, maybe just some, some reflections from your side yeah um not try not to repeat what the guys have said um i think 
trying to understand what the impact of the stamp duty holiday, I feel like it had maybe not so much of an impact on the market, just due to the fact that we saw growths in other countries which didn't have stamp, um, stamp duty holiday. So how could it be explained, the growth in the US and other places, um, when they didn't have a stamp duty holiday? So when I think about it, I think more around... <clears throat> the money that was printed and put into the market. So when money is put into a market, it needs to go somewhere. Either it's going to go into, we've seen it um, come up in inflation. Um, we've seen it with spending. We've seen it in the stock market where it's gone up in value. And, and we've also seen it in the, um, in the property market, right? As the pandemic forced a lot of people to save, you were able to then, and because of the furlough schemes and getting more money through those sort of things, it allowed more capital to then be used um, for purchasing properties. I think what would be quite interesting is to understand how many people purchase properties um, with a residential mortgage or how many actually purchased on a buy, buy to let, so investors. And I think a lot of the, me personally, I think a lot of the increase in price was really driven by investors. Um, you started to see companies like Lloyd's say that they're going to purchase, I think, 50,000 homes mm -hmm. um, in the next 10 years. Um, you saw lots of different private companies coming in saying that they're going to purchase homes as well. Um, and I, I guess a lot of us that have been purchasing or were purchasing in the last few years can share experiences of trying to purchase, right? I remember calling up an estate agent um, like a day after a property was posted and them saying to me, oh, we've already got 30 people booked for viewings. Like we're not taking any more viewings. So you're like, wait, that's kind of crazy. Um, and I think a lot of those people were investors, right? It was people looking to to um, purchase, purchase outside of the London. So like myself, I make my money in London, but I was looking to invest up north. So um, it just goes into that supply and demand conversation that we always say. And I think with that whole calculation of supply and demand, you look at affordability. I think there's more money in the market, like I mentioned, so people can afford better homes. Interest rates are a lot lower, so banks are giving better rates for it. Um, and then demand element of it, we all, all know in the UK or in most places, there's a limited uh, supply of housing. Um, which then drives up the prices. Um, so yeah, that's what. I'm yeah, saying. no, I think I think you know great conclusions from you all, and I think we can unpack some of those some of those pieces. One of the things I wanted to spend just a little bit of time on, because there is this perception that the house prices today are basically driven entirely by, or people feel that way, the stamp duty holiday, right? So that's kind of this sense out in the market. So I just talk a little bit about you know, what stamp duty is, um, it's just in effect a form of a, of a tax charge on legal instruments within the property space. And the whole story behind the stamp duty holiday was that um, in July of 2020, it was, and I, I guess it was a way to stimulate the market. Um, they basically said properties purchased of a value up until 500,000, half a million, there will be no stamp duty tax on. And it depends, obviously, at what price there's a certain percentage applied. So that was basically to be in place for a year. Um, and then in 2021 of June, it was then reduced to 250,000. And then it concluded in October. 
So there's this sense, there's this real belief, but I think a lot of people that we are where we are today because of the stamp duty. And I think some of you guys have mentioned, um, actually, there's that's not quite the case, or, or there are other factors that have played a role. So how much do you think the stamp duty has played a role? Um, do you think first-time buyers have actually really benefited from there not being that, that stamp duty tax? And what are the other key factors that you guys have mentioned that you think have played more of a role to where we are? Well, that's that's a very good question. And it's something even as I, I'll drive, a, drive around in the last, the last year or so is... You know, there are. I think there are other factors that come into play. I think the stamp duty holiday may have accelerated people's wanting to buy a home to take advantage from a huge tax haven. That's a no-brainer. I certainly would want to take advantage from that if I was in that situation. Um, but also, when you think about other factors that may have a part to play, during the lockdown and during the pandemic, or various lockdowns and the pandemic as a whole, people may have been in situations or environments that weren't conducive. When I say that, it could be that space could get tighter. It could be that they're with their significant other or spouse. Conversations, arguments increased and were amplified. And we've also heard before that statistics of the rate of divorce increased during the pandemic because people weren't so used to being in a confined, constricted space with their significant other for long periods of time. And unfortunately, the effects of that is a lot of people separated or may have divorced. So... When you look about people buying, they might not be the first-time buyer, they might not be a joint buyer, they might be single, you know, buy, people buying by themselves. Or people selling their homes may have been because, you know, they're, they're divorcing, they're separating, they're now to put their family home up for sale and they're moving elsewhere. So in our area, I'm not saying that this was the case, but in our area, we just saw a lot of for sale signs popping up. I don't live inside of London. However, a lot of people see it as a commuter belt region so people would live where i live and get a train into london and as we mentioned earlier people are moving outside of london to take advantage of more green space more open space and more work, favorable working from home conditions so we saw a lot of properties up for sale whether people moved from where we're living we don't know maybe they could have moved further afield further up north um further down into devon cornwall etc we don't know but we definitely did see uh, an, an increase a number of for sale signs as well as sold signs People were snapping them up left, right and centre. So I think there are other factors to play that come into play when you think what could there be or what could have driven this this fast rate um, in house, well, this increased rate of growth. And I think those, those themes, those things shouldn't be overlooked because I think they may have a huge part to play. And just quickly mentioning on the, the renters market, we know at the beginning of the pandemic, Landlords were somewhat, or it was said in the media, landlords were worried about having their tenants stay. They were trying to lock people in for a long period of time. Then as we, about this time last year in the summer, it completely flipped on its head where they were able to even charge maybe up to three times the amount uh, per month on what they were prior to the pandemic. Even when people were trying to get a place, secure a place, uh, make pay a deposit, it was often heard that, there are 10 other people wanted to see it or this person's willing to pay four times the amount per month just to get that room, just to get that, that apartment. And it's a, it's, a, it's, it's really crazy how things change in a, in a matter of months, even in the renter's market, let alone the buyer's market. Yeah, no, and just just that one point on, on I had a couple of people actually in the property space agents telling me that 
one of the patterns that they've seen is to your point earlier Dan is if people if they don't love their house during the pandemic period they actually hate it and they're looking for something else so bringing it back to that stamp duty point um, the more and more I was looking into it because I actually thought it was a big driver behind the volume that we see today the more and more you look into it, the more and more you realize actually there was a part in as to where the stamp duty holiday was really there to sort of protect some of the jobs in the property market space. And they did an analysis to basically show there wasn't much of a correlation between the areas that you would expect to see benefited in terms of the ones up to 500,000. There was no correlation between that and the stamp duty holiday. And a lot of the transactions were actually, well, quite a lot of it was actually a million and, and over. So what the, the, the consensus around stamp duty holiday is the sole, sole driver. Actually, when you look into it, not necessarily so much. The other thing I'll add, which I think is interesting, is um, I think it was a year where first-time buyers really had an opportunity to, or they feel like an opportunity to secure their first property. Did they really benefit? What they would have perhaps saved on the tax, I think they would have paid for in the actual price because you saw the pent-up demand. Um, so, yeah, just interesting on that take. When we, when we look at interest it's rates... Um, Go ahead, but sorry. just so what you mentioned, I think is great. I was just whilst Daniel was talking, I was looking for some data in regards to understanding what was the mix of first time buyers to um, buy to let investors. And it showed that 50 percent of the mortgages were actually to first time buyers in 2021, which was the mass, the biggest increase they've seen since 2006. So it does look like a lot of first time buyers did go into the market, uh, maybe due to the stamp duty um, holiday. But like you mentioned, I think, which is the important thing is, did they truly benefit based on it? Mm. Because a lot of times they were paying higher prices or higher prices versus last year, more than what they would have saved in terms of um, the tax elements. But maybe it was just a, it's one of those things that's mentally, right? A lot of people are like, oh, mentally, I don't have to pay any tax um taxes here but not really thinking about okay how much am i paying for the property because at the end of the day you can't you can't control the price right you when you're ready to buy you've got the money you can't control that the prices at this amount you can't really wait for it to drop yeah yeah and it could even it could even be a case that there were many people that were looking to get onto the ladder but thought okay i haven't really got any there's no there's no fire under me to push me to do so but if there's a stamp duty holiday i've got the money right now we're in a pandemic and i probably would want my own space and i have time to actually enjoy it now's maybe a good time to, to strike fast the iron is hot possibly but like you said uh, a monetary saving is always looks good to the eye but there's no such thing as a, as a free free lunch 100 percent. we saw um one of the other key trends was was a really competitive space amongst the lenders you have, you know, interest rates are all time low. Um, and I think that played a key role in just, you know, wealthy people understanding that they can borrow money cheaply, as some of you guys have mentioned. Um, any perspectives on that? And, and I guess, you know, you know, how would you guys look at that, right? If you imagine put yourself in a position where you're even a much more experienced investor, the opportunity to buy, to get properties at a sub 1% on a residential mortgage, you're really going to take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, but any any thoughts, I don't know, Shua, on, on just the interest rate space and how lenders have kind of behaved during during 2021? Yeah, so I think um, uh, f for me personally, I, I mean, I, I've gone through a, a journey where we've been looking at purchasing a family home. And initially, the driver for purchasing a 
larger family home was uh, we haven't bought a home the home that we've been in uh, where my parents have been based we've had it since 1997 so it's quite a long time right and then the initial driver was the actual stamp duty holiday so we thought okay we're looking at houses probably between the 700 to a million range so that's quite a sizable saving that i could do so then i was like okay cool let's do it um we'll put it under my name and we'll build from there and then as we looked through the market the market was so hot that everything that we wanted was almost gone by the time we've gone to view it the day that we're viewing it eight other families are viewing it um and then every every offer that's being made is above the asking price as well and in the end because it's such a sizable transaction we didn't want to move anywhere until it was the perfect place for us now we were fortunate that we found the perfect place it was on the market for for 725 and we ended up having to get it above the the uh, asking price but that's just the market dynamic now and then unfortunately or fortunately the timing of it this happened after the stamp duty holiday anyway but then by that point we were so committed to making the move um i think like many others we thought okay let's just go and move anyway um and i think the drive and going back to your question p uh one was the um the house itself but then also the rates that were on offer so i was being able i was offered a rate that was um, much better than the rates that I was getting um, as I purchased through a, through a company, for example, as, as an individual. And I've never seen rates that attractive before. Mm. So for me, that was like, okay, well, if I can get the rate like this, lock it in for five years, and it's an asset that will only be, I think that type of the market as well, where people growing families, if the, the incomes are rising, then these are the types of homes people will always want to move to. The demand will always be there. Um, and in the area that I'm investing in, in the last eight years, that type of home has increased the most as a percentage around the 80% mark. Then that's why I was like, okay, let's let's really go for it. So the interest rate did play a factor there, despite the fact that I had to pay the additional uh, stamp duty uh, in the end. So, yeah, no, um, no, thanks for those real life um, insights. And I just think, I think, um, I think we've been in actually circles, um, are some of our property investment circles where we've heard of let's say the experts really taking advantage of, of this period where they're basically borrowing money cheaply. And then if you can look to find a higher return on investment elsewhere, you know, it's kind of a no brainer, right? So I guess the question is for some of the investors is how much did they really gear up by and, you know, leverage. So, you know, I think we've, we've accurately spoken about the key trends that took place last year, right? You've got a shortage of homes, which has always been a, a sort of a characteristic of the UK market plays a role, low interest um, rates, stamp duty holiday um, and this COVID is playing a role in terms of Londoners buying outside of the capital. How does this start to shape up the market now for this year and, and beyond, right? Because we started property prices. These prices are all-time high. You know, do they actually reflect the real value of these assets uh, or are people sitting on portfolios that are worth more, that they think, yeah, it's worth a lot less than what, they, than what it says on paper. So how do you see, how do you guys see the growth and how did you guys do you see do you think there'll be a sharp correction? Do you think there'll be a correction in general? Or do you actually see this continuing? Because maybe Omnicron can maybe kick off another pandemic wave. So thoughts on, on this year. When you think about it simply, if demand is no 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 not just to say if there's if there's high demand, the prices are gonna stay or only increase because there is demand. We know the saying, you know, elasticity of demand, supply equals demand. If there's demand, there's going to be a high price. We know there's a low supply, which means the demand's already high, which is only going to further inflate the price. If we see a continuation of new variants being in, introduced by, um, well, we've been informed of variants being introduced by um, COVID, we are likely to see a continued 
rate of where we are now for a longer period of time. Your question is, are people sitting on portfolios that may be inflated or not be a realised value of what they are? There's a chance that that is the case. That percentage of what that value is, we don't know. I'm not an economist. I'm not a housing specialist. <laughs> I can't speak for the UK as a whole. But it's likely that if there is high demand and prices aren't really reflecting it, then, of course, it could be that those, those values are not correct. But how do you adjust for that? You can't because we don't know what that correction would be or can be or if there's going to be correction. Daniel, the way that you set the way that you set that up, Daniel, I thought you were going to do another B R R play. But I, actually, just a quick one, so I can I can uh, just to build on on your one, Daniel. I think um, to to P's question whether there'll be a correction or not, I think the question is really when it will happen rather than if, because just historically, whenever anything has been an all-time high, whether it's property, whether it's cryptocurrency, whether it's Dogecoin, whether it's Bitcoin, wherever it is, there's always a correction of some kind. So it will it will come. But then I think this goes back to your personal investment philosophy and the horizon that you're looking at. So if you're looking at this from a 5, 10, 20, beyond year horizon, then whether correction comes or not long-term, as long as the fundamentals are there, population growth is increasing, the number of people renting homes is increasing versus buying homes, incomes continue to grow, but just not in line with housing prices, then I think there will be demand there. So I think long-term, you're in a safe space with real estate, but then when that correction comes, that's probably the trillion-dollar question. If any of us knew that, the answer to that, we probably wouldn't be in this call right now, but it'd be I, good to... <laughs> I think, I think, I think Alu does. I think Alu does. That's yeah, what right, Alu, look, give, give us a crystal ball prediction. <laughs> Is it in your logbook? <laughs> <laughs> so no one knows um, the time of a correction. Do I believe that the market is over is overvalued? Yes, I do believe the property stock markets, I think all the assets are inflated at this particular time. Um, but I think the more important thing is how do you protect yourself? How do you invest in an um, inflated market? Because the answer is not investing, right? Because things are going to naturally go up. Is how do you protect yourself investing in um inflated market? So I think there's a few things you need to think about, right? Is if you look at previous the crashes, so the last one I can think of is like 2007, 2008. We're in a completely different time. Um, I don't. I don't believe. Right, back in the day, the banks didn't have the same regulation that they have right now, in terms of affordability. Right now, we do. The banks are on top of it when it comes to affordability. So, do I think we're going to get a mass amount of foreclosure in properties? No. So, it's not going to be a situation where there's now going to be a, a, a amount a, a large amount of supply and available properties, which will drop the price. Now, the next question you got to think about is, if there is a correction, whenever this correction is, roughly how long will it take for it to recover? With every every um, every correction or reduction or crash, whatever you want to say, there's going to be a particular time frame for it to recover. If I think about 2007, 2008, it took seven years for it to rebound. So if you're someone but purchasing a family home or you're like P, who's never going to sell any of these properties, right? <laughs> does does a decline for seven years really matter? No. He's still getting the cash flow from those properties. Unless, as long as he's made sure that his loan-to-value is in a re reasonable place, 
So when he has to remortgage and those situations, he can still do it and afford it. He doesn't need to sell. And then he can also pick up properties at a lower price during that cycle. So like valuations don't really mean anything until it's time to sell. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that is all, is all about how much can you sell your asset for? So like whenever I look at like prices, I purchased a property for just under 80 K. I see a property four doors down now on the market for 120. It's not going to be sold for 120. Like, and what that person is putting up for that value, right? So how do you know? This, you hope we'll it, see how long you hope, you hope it's sold for 120. I, I hope this does because then I made a nice equity <laughs> game. But I think the key thing is that depending on what your strategy is, it doesn't really matter. Now, if you're someone that's, the people that need to worry about this question for me, are more people that are flipping properties. So people that are doing renovations and flipping properties in a short period of time. Now, within those, that's more high risk because you're thinking about, okay, if I purchase this property with the intention to sell next year, what is the market going to look like next year? It's very difficult to predict. But if you're someone that's buying as a family home or you're buying it as a um, hold investment, like a generating wealth and hold for long term, I think you have less to be concerned about and you just need to focus on affordability and getting the best for your money. So looking for value within it. So there's lots of different techniques. People say is find the worst property in the best street and then build and improve those properties, right? Not trying to buy the best property on that street. So um, yeah, that's my view on next year. I don't think you could predict. Oh, the one other point I wanted to really mention is you don't, you typically don't see continuous uh, all-time growths. So what that means is we've seen 10 to 15% growth in the property market. Typically, the next year, you're not going to see another 15 20%. Same with mm -hmm. the stock market, we've seen 27% increase. Typically, the next year, you're not going to see the same growth. So I do believe even if we don't see a correction, the likelihood is we're not going to see yearly growths like we've seen this year mm. and there's lots of different charts that you can look at where it has annual growth of properties um which will show you that in in record-breaking years the following year you're looking at either a negative or close to zero percent growth and then slowly maybe going up again so i don't think we're going to see record double digit growths year over year i think that's the key thing to think about yeah, and no, I think I think we're all aligned. I think it's a question of what kind of correction do we, what type of correction do we potentially see happening? I think it'll be more. I think there'll be a bit of a spillover effect from last year, just because the demand kept on going even after stamp duty holiday completely closed. I think there will be a cool down period, um, but still expect activity within the market. But then at some point, I'm also asking myself, I mean, how many buyers are there? I'm hoping I'm hoping myself actually it's not as competitive as it was last year. Um, so we'll see. But still still going to be a growth. I think one of the things I'll say before we look at opportunities and risks, I think some of the things that we've spoken about speak to why it's quite important to be part of this investment asset and vehicle, right? Because especially in the UK, supply and demand will always work more primarily in your favor. Um, you've got these cycles that happen every so every so many years. And if you just sit and hold and sit and wait, 
right? You just basically gain over the long period. So it's um it's it's also it's also been quite um, a reflective period for people that have portfolios to look at what's been happening um, in the market. Um, I just, I was go just going to add to that, B. Um, something that the chief economist at Nationwide said was, it appears likely that the housing market will slow next year, as in this year, 2022. Even if wider economic conditions remain resilient, higher interest rates are likely to exert a cooling influence. Yeah. Affordability is already less favourable than before the pandemic struck. So it's, you know, it, yeah. it's there. And, and I think on that interest point, I think the Bank of England just before the year closed rose base rate the to MCP. 0.25. Yeah, the MCP on the 9th of December, yeah. So that should that's a reaction to the increased inflation, which should in turn slow down um, the pace at which these prices are, are rising. Um, um, yeah, so, so I think that's an interesting point to mention. I think the other thing also going back to, I think if you have a property today or two or a portfolio, what's quite reflective is we've seen inflation they're even saying, I think inflation is expected to be around 6% soon. That property is a good hedge against inflation. So there are some, as, as much as sometimes it may seem like um, within, a, within a record year um, of property, there are some reflective learnings on the benefits of, of holding. Um, I want to get your thoughts on opportunities and possible risks for 2022, right? Um, what do you guys see as, and not necessarily for us, as, but just in general as a property market? Any thoughts? I think maybe one I'll just share from my side. Um, I think there's a, I think there's an obvious opportunity. Well, you have to obviously know what you're doing. You have to be educated and an expert. Everybody's kind of ran away from London, quote unquote. So you've got all these empty offices. And I think one of the questions there is who's going to come in and maybe look at the next use of these offices, right? Convert offices and maybe to residential spaces or convert offices into maybe, I don't know, spaces that can be used maybe even from a virtual setting. So I think I think opportunities around what to do with offices, especially in the London space, could be quite interesting um, and something that we hear more about um, um, throughout the year. Yeah, P, for sure. Commercial to residential conversions are a big thing where there's a lot of reliefs that you can get tax reliefs um, that you can get for doing those conversions. And as we mentioned, I can speak for my company, right? We've given up our office space to go to a smaller sort of WeWork style um, hot desk um, versus a larger commercial space. So I think that's okay. one definite opportunity. Um, I do believe there's still opportunity outside of London. Um just in regards to, I would always say, purchasing now is better than waiting to purchase in the future. So what I mean about that is, if you're not able to afford to purchase in London, trying to save, you're never going to save enough to 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 meet the appreciation of the assets. Um, so even if you're trying to say, oh, I'm going to save for three years, by three years, you're going to realize, oh, wow, that property that was 300K is now 400K. If you look at London, 400, 500K, right? If you look at London. So in some circumstances, it might even be better to still use that money to invest outside of London, up north. Um, you can purchase multiple properties there. And then over the maybe two, three years that you're waiting, those have appreciated maybe not so dramatically, but you could then sell to be able to purchase in London if you're overall plan is to move back into London. 
Um, but I would always say you, I personally, personally never like to purchase the most expensive property in the street. Um, there's ways to look at it, right? You can go on comparison websites. Um, I don't look at the estimate, right? There's been a lot of companies that have got in trouble for <laughs> estimating high property prices. I look at what is prop what a property sold for, right? That is the key importance to say, okay, I saw this property sell for hundred K. So now that's now like the base value of that particular area. If you see multiple properties selling for hundred K, then you're comfortable that that's a good valuation for that particular area or property. Um, uh, I know we're talking about properties, um, but for me, I think there's an opportunity to look at uh, maybe other asset classes. I don't think, I think it, you should always challenge yourself to say, okay, is property the right place for me to put my money? Um, because if there's just like now that the taxes and um, elements are there, maybe you might consider stocks as a place to put your money. Um, I think P and I have talked about a play where you put your money in stocks for a particular period of time. You might wait for the market to quiet down as the stock market increases, if you put in the S&P um, S 500, you can then pull that money out to then go back into the property space. So mm -hmm. those are some of my thoughts. Yeah, great takes. Sure, um, Daniel, opportunities and risks. Um, or so I, I, one or the other. So I, I do it very quickly. So I think opportunities, just from my personal perspective, I think as, um, as property prices continue to increase, yields just get even more squeeze so you're just meaning the the rental incomes over the price of the asset so i think that means that the bigger opportunities will probably be in hmos in multi-unit um properties so i think there is an opportunity there and probably at that segment of the market there'll be less buyers so i think there'll also be some opportunities to to purchase larger assets um for better yield and i think specifically in the hmo market uh, i think we've all seen uh, the types of products are that are available there but i think if you have a a good quality product which stands out versus the competition i think there is a, an opportunity there as well and then on the flip side the risk where i see it for me personally um of course with all these inflation um which has had a positive impact on the assets that all of us own across multiple different classes the risk is with projects and refurbishments and stuff all those costs have also increased as well so i think there's a, a an element of risk there that those costs need to be managed and then of course delays supply chain issues these are also knock-on effects that that can have as well so those are the opportunities and risks that i see but overall still looking to invest this year sure well, you just reminded me something when you mentioned that let me just add to one point is one of the reasons why property prices are so high is the cost to build a house from scratch. And mm. I think we haven't really discussed that. With such an increase in material costs, like the cost of timber and the cost to create a house from the ground up, that's why we've seen such a high value on properties that have already been created um, or already exist. But yeah, that was a great point, sure. Daniel, um, just maybe some yeah. thoughts. Yeah, I was just going to share something you said earlier, P, about residential, oh, sorry, office spaces in the city. And just to that point, I wanted to just give some some facts that. So the City of London Corporation, which looks after the Square Mile, which is a, a square mile within London that looks from London Stock Exchange all the way to Hackney. It's not one square mile, it's actually 1.12 when you actually measure it, but that's besides the point. But they're looking to create at least 1,500 new homes by 2030. 
So how they manage, how they may go about doing that, they may use already office space and convert that. Of course, the whole point is to try and retain and attract new talent, tech-based talent into the city so that London is still an attractive um, working location, working hub, which of course will ensure that the economy thrives um, in, a, in the long term. But when you look at opportunities for this year, I think there are opportunities everywhere, to be honest. And I think it's about how you look at it and how you assess it, how you analyse it and what your personal risk appetite is. So the, irrespective of real estate asset class, there are always going to be opportunities. The flip side is that the risks, I see the risks as not diversifying your portfolio. So if you put all your eggs into one basket, I think that's where the huge risk is. As we know, inflation's at an all-time high, projected to be six, well, it's projected to be 5% or five around 5% Close to six. Yeah. But I think it's actually going to be 6% with the way that the, the price of goods are increasing and what's in that basket, um, the CPI. And when you do that, if there is going to be a correction, if there's going to be a, a crash, rather than have all your eggs in one basket when that crash happens, allow it to be diversified so the impact is less or could be less on a specific um, sector or industry that you're you're invested in. Because let's be honest, we saw in the 2008 financial crisis, which we most of us were not affected by because we're at university, we're in school, we weren't working, it didn't really impact us like that. So we now had nothing... We, we can't really say, oh, you know, I know what to expect. But where we had now moved on, you know, 13, 14 years later, if there is going to be some crash, it's going to be huge. And you don't want to be the one holding the bag. That's all <laughs> I'll say. That's all I'll what? say because it'll, it'll be rude, it'll be horrible, and it will be tasteless. Daniel, you, you believe in diversification. I thought you had everything in crypto. I, don't, I thought you no, 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 no. I'm an advocate for crypto because I think long term it's going to be it's going to be an asset class that's going to really change the world. But that said, doesn't mean there aren't going to be corrections and it's going to be a smooth ride. It's going to be a bumpy journey to get there, but doesn't mean we won't get there. In the same in the, in in this, in, this, in the same sentence, I also say ensure you're you know what you're doing and diversify your risk. Yeah, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. Well, Danny, that's almost almost a, a little one eighty from a couple of episodes. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Because no, it's not saying that we're not going to get there. We can because to, to, from here to here, you can get there in a straight line, but you also can go up and down. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm with let, you, bro. Man, I told you, I'm I'm dollar cost averaging crypto twice a month, so I'm there. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. <laughs> I can I can see Olu's sort of chomping at the bits to get out Daniel about about his strategy, but just but just before before we before we go left, uh, a couple more opportunities that um just wanted to just to share um before we have go to the closeout question, um I think there's going to be opportunity for overseas investors. I think simply because they want to make a move that will hedge them against inflation. Um, we saw that trend increase in 2021, so that could be interesting. There's actually an opportunity for people that if they've got enough savings because of the pandemic to secure what lenders have now created as a new product, that these 40-year fixed mortgages at almost 1% or less. So I think these still might be on the market for a couple more months. That could be a big opportunity. Again, how much you pay for it would be in question. But even going, that's kind of, these are macro, but even going macro, I think there's actually very much a big opportunity for, I'm not just saying this because Olu's here, but the rent to rent operators, because you have, House prices are all time high. Guys, don't laugh. I'm being serious. <laughs> you have high, you have you have high house prices at all time high, and people can't then afford to buy. So renting is going to be much more of a trend than perhaps it was last year, right? And so 
if there is good accommodation, affordable accommodation, I think that's going to be something that's looked into. So I think, um, you know, looking at macro and micro opportunities, that's certainly going to be perhaps a couple of things um, to note. But last question to close out with, and I think it's, it'll be quite interesting, um, is if we were all starting today on our property investment journey, given where the market is, given what we've discussed, what would you do? Would you buy? Would you look at other asset classes? Would you, you know, not touch property at all? Would you rent? Would you, what moves would you guys make? Olu. <laughs> and, and also maybe why? I would, oh, tough one. Um, I would probably put more money into other assets outside of property into the stock market reason why i say i i say that is because um if i look currently at my mix my mix of assets that i own the majority of assets that i own probably 60 percent 60 60 70 percent is towards property and if i look at the growth over the last sort of 10 years it hasn't been it hasn't been comparable to my stocks, my pension, or my um, or crypto. What I have in crypto. Um, so personally, for me, I would probably invest more. And I, I was doing some study into like um, how a lot of wealthy people build their wealth, um, and a lot of wealthy people build their wealth quicker by investing more into the stock market at the early ages. And then as that grows, they diversify more into then the property space as a protection um, for like inflation, like we've discussed. Um, and then you've got it generating more money for you. So me personally, if I was uh, uh, an investor, right, not thinking about it as someone that needs to purchase a home or whatever. And even in that conversation, I think, he mentioned a great thing about renting versus purchasing because I think sometimes purchasing your home does keep you locked in and you have a lot of um, equity tied up. up. So if I was starting again, I think I would go more heavy into stock market, equity markets versus versus property. Not surprised by the answer, by the way. Uh, uh, Sure, go ahead. Uh, I feel like this is going to be another property versus stock swap part five. No, 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 no. I don't think so. We hope not. So the question would be: Is would I do anything differently if I was starting again now? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you got you got a pot of savings. Um, prices are where they are. What move are you going to make next? And I guess in the in the property context. I guess hundred percent, hundred percent Dogecoin is out the window. Um, <laughs> no, so I think, I think, so for, I think it goes back to again probably your personal investment thesis or what you're looking for. For me personally, real estate was always just to get to a stage where it replaces my main quote unquote income to then give me the freedom to think about what's the big swing or big bet that I want to take after that, mm-hmm. um, and. In the investment area that I've invested in, where it's an area where I know I'm familiar with, I have people here, um, the growth has been pretty good, I would say. 
Um, could I have in could I have grown more if I put all of that in Facebook back in 2012? I think that would be obviously a yes. Um, but then having that monthly cash flow and an appreciating asset that has grown for me to have that security it's given me a a peace of mind that i wouldn't want to actually take away so i think if i was starting it now probably what i would do is still invest in real estate still invest in the area that i'm investing in i probably would actually invest would i invest less in property maybe a little bit less and then more with the yields the... with the yields that you're getting today remember that into consideration i think if, if i was looking at it from a yield perspective then probably i wouldn't even personally bother with buy to let and i'll just go straight into hmos based on prices now um, and based on what i know now as well that's probably what i would do if i was staying in the real estate space this this definitely feels like it's about to go stocks versus property uh, part <laughs> five. Um, uh, Daniel, uh, <laughs> what would you do? And it could be even as a as a investor, as a as a look. Would you would you would you buy your um, home that you're in today, right? Um, would you wait a little bit longer, or would you would you then say you know let's invest this money instead, right? So, no wrong answers, Me, but just just perspectives. I would I would delay it. The reason being, when you look at the um, the the rate of returns from twenty twenty one, when you look at the S and P five hundred, uh, it's twenty seven percent up twenty seven percent. When you look at you know the, the controversial uh, cryptocurrency Bitcoin sixty two percent. When you look at Microsoft fifty four percent. When you look at Apple thirty seven percent, Google sixty seven percent, Ethereum six sorry Ethereum four hundred twenty eight percent, and lastly real estate is thirty five percent. Not to say not not to say no to property. Or real estate, it would be to say maybe I delay it to to benefit from these high rate of returns before now putting it into real estate, just so that I could enjoy the the huge growth at this infancy, and use that money, use those profits to now plunge into uh, another asset class. That's how I would say, just based on what the information that's available today. When you look at that longer term, so you look at five years, ten years. Those numbers, of course, are going to change drastically. So your your approach, your your ideology, your thought process behind that may change. And also, we got to we have to you know plug in those important factors that it's been a, a different to normal year again in 2021, where there were lockdowns. There's the pandemic continuing. So some of these returns could have been impacted by external factors that we have no control over. That in 2022 and beyond, we may not see. Interesting. Interesting. What about you? Pete? Yeah, yeah. No, I think for me, um, as you guys know, I believe strongly in this asset class. Um, I would, and be, I'll be very precise. I would invest in real estate, um, and I. But the move I would make would be not to focus on London, right? Because I think when you come from London, there is this sort of um, willingness to get your first property within London. So I wouldn't do that. I would literally then see how far I can stretch my money and look to go out of north, um, up north, sorry. And I mentioned this on on my social media page. I spoke to, I mentioned that if you're from London and you've got savings, there is this tendency to want to buy close to home. Um, but you know, you might want to consider going up up north. So I would, I would, I would definitely do that. I think for me, I've always looked at return on investment as a measure of how well I can sleep at night. So I would probably be aware that the return on investments are not higher than what you guys have mentioned but i'm still in this play for hundreds of years plus right so i would probably the question the question that would be interesting for me though is would i buy 
say at that point in time, two or three properties or buy two and then use the other money onto crypto. And I, and I think most likely would. If I was starting today in this current trend and how things are moving, still property, but I think it's difficult not to have your eye on things like things like crypto. Um, yep, yeah, cool. Guys, I think it was uh, um, it was packed with tons of, of information. I think great insights as to how we have experienced 2021. I think we've we've very nicely spoken a little bit about you know how we see things playing out in 2022, and we can also revisit this episode towards the end of the year to see how things um, have actually um, played out. So um, yeah, really good, and I think I think it was good that this didn't move into a stocks versus property part five. I think there was going to be a couple a couple swings. I saw I saw I saw up and then his shoulders. I didn't I didn't need to I didn't need to I didn't need to after Daniel came up with the stats of the returns. As soon as Daniel said that I didn't need to say anything more. I definitely get the sense that um since since that episode Olu's Olu's been building these muscles in this stock market. So I think he's got like he's got more to say. That's that's what I get. So, like I said, Oli, any time. Maybe, maybe you can do a part, part five <laughs> any, at the end of the year. Any I open a new, I open a new Vanguard account, a new brokerage Vanguard account. Um, we'll talk about it P offline. Okay. We'll talk about some of the benefits. I'm always, some I'm of the tax I'm benefits. Always, I'm always. I'm always. <laughs> so, thank you all for joining us on our first episode of 2022 as a four. We hope we have started the year positively for you. And you have been, been able to take away some gems and some insights on how we view this year when it comes to real estate. If you have any feedback for us, as always, please find us on Instagram at TakeFlightPodcast. Alternatively, email us at TakeFlightPodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, stay safe, look after one another. God bless. And Happy New Year. Take off, take flight.